This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we'll precede Pastor Cole's message. He started in verse 8, and so we'll do verses 1 through 7. So, We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You know, we hear these passages every year, uh, but they're always good to read them and go over them again. You know, I I thought of, uh, we have revivals uh, to help us to remember, to refresh our memories on things that we might have forgotten or missed. So let's uh, enter into this passage of Scripture uh, with the same attitude that, Lord, uh, if there's something we've missed in the past or something we need to have refreshed in our mind, uh, help us to see it. There it is. Chapter 2 uh, in the book of Luke, starting in verse 1, says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Uh, And in parentheses it says, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. In the parentheses. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary... His espoused wife being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I just feel like we ought to pray again. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you'll bless this message uh, today and help us, Lord, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I don't think you can pray too much. In any event, we are doing a series, uh, as you see on this uh, screen, a season uh, to celebrate. And this lesson today is a season to rejoice. Uh, And have you ever noticed as we enter into this season, the songs that we sang this morning, how many times did you hear rejoice or joy or something like that? It's in a lot of the hymns uh, that we sing this time of year. Uh, the hymn, What Child Is This? It says, Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. And that's in your notes. And by the way, is there anyone that did not get a set of notes that needs one? And I always like to point this out for the live stream folks. So we'll see that in, in a minute. But uh, you can email Pastor Coles and he will send you out a copy of the notes each week. Another hymn, Come All Ye Faithful, says, Joyful and triumphant, O come, O come, ye to Bethlehem. God rest ye merry gentlemen, says, O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. Uh, And as Pastor Coles talked about, we need joy. Uh, And if we have it in our heart, it ought to show on our face. And so we're all smiling right now, hopefully. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. But then joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. 
Uh, the last carol we just talked about, Joy to the World, arguably uh, the most famous. It's interesting that it was published in 1719 by Isaac Watts, and he did not intend to celebrate Christmas when he wrote that hymn. I thought that was interesting. Rather, what he did was he intended to remind us of Christ's coming again, his second coming. But nevertheless, that song has gained popularity among Christians, particularly during the Christmas season. Uh, and, and we love it because of its words, and the words are true. Uh, Jesus Christ's birth brought joy unspeakable, joy unspeakable into the world. Christ's arrival on earth uh, was at a was it a very dark time in history? We can look at things today and think it's dark, but it was dark back then, a very dark time in history. But what it did was it signified that God had not forgotten his people. It had been over 400 years since any prophet had prophesied, hey, I just heard from the Lord. No one heard anything for 400 years. But God signifies with the birth of Christ that he had not forgotten mankind. In fact, he was working, uh, orchestrating a plan to eliminate the burden of sin that separated us from God. And we thank him for that. I, someone gave me a book one time called uh, God Works the Night Shift. And so when we, we don't see or hear or think of things going on, trust me, God is still working. And that should, that should give us a comfort and a peace and joy in our hearts when we think of that. Psalm 1611 uh, says, Thou wilt show me the, the path of life, and the, thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures uh, forevermore. At Christmas time, perhaps no other, like no other time, we're reminded that no matter what's going on around us, uh, no matter what burdens we personally carry, and we mentioned some in prayer, but we all have them. But no matter what these burdens are, there's always joy in the presence of Jesus. And Christmas, Christmas is about declaring that there is joy to be found because Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, God with us, was sent to earth so we could eternally be with him. That is reason for great joy. And I hope we all have that, if we do. And then the next slide, uh, we'll see that there is a joy in his providence. And you, that your first blank there uh, in Roman numeral one is providence, verses one and two. Chapter uh, two of Luke begins off with the words, and it came to pass in those days. It came to pass because of God's providence is what we're saying. But those days that are mentioned in Luke 2 uh, verse 1 were very challenging for the Jewish people. If you imagine uh, your country being ruled by another, Rome was the greatest military power in the world. They have conquered uh, and was occupying Israel. Imagine a country conquering and occupying us. And as if it weren't bad enough that they had to answer to a foreign power, the people had to obey Caesar's edict of taxation. It's like a double whammy. They really needed this edict of taxation. It was hardly a time for joy. 
especially when you consider Joseph and Mary, and they were forced to walk 90 miles from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem to pay taxes while Mary was in the last trimester of her pregnancy. I looked it up on a little map quest thing. It's like walking from here to Richmond. Okay, so ladies, in your third trimester, just prior to having a birth, your husband says, come on, honey, we got to walk to Richmond. Okay, well, I'll see you when you get back would probably be the answer. But that's, that's how dark, that's how bleak, that's their situation, that's how uh, rough it was. However you want to put it, however you would feel if someone told you you had to walk from here to Richmond uh, and then back of course, and no limo, no Lexus, no Mercedes-Benz, no nothing of that, no bus, no train, no plane. You walk from here to Richmond, 90 miles, and that's what they put up with. But even in those dark days, God's providence, his timely preparation uh, is evident. Caesar may have been the ruler, that's true, but God was in charge was God's providence during all of this. And your letter A there is that God originates, God originates history. Not only uh, did God create the world and everything in it, we understand that from Genesis, but hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God wrote history with the prophecies of the coming of his son. He spoke through the prophets and actually had written down the prophecies of things to come. He wrote what history would be. Uh, God wrote the history and over 350 times in the Old Testament there are prophecies given concerning Jesus, his birth, uh, his work on the cross, his death, and his resurrection over 350 times. I'm going to say a little more about that in just a minute. But Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. But God didn't just prophesy the birth of his son. He also made it come to pass. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now that's a little bit, Interesting. I, I love those verses as I looked at them and meditated and thought of them. I thought this. Here's the prophet, God speaking to them. They're writing down what he says. And then they look at it and say, wow, well, wonders when this is going to happen. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. And so what this verse is saying, these verses here, it says that these prophets, they're inquiring and searching diligently. Um, they're the ones that prophesied it. Now they want to find out when it's going to come to pass. Uh, and I would too if, if I were in their shoes or sandals, if you will. Uh, but they testified, they wrote these things of what's going to happen, and now they're searching diligently to, to figure it all out. 
So God not only originates history, but he orchestrates history. He orchestrates, that's your letter B, your blank there. God not only originates history, but he orchestrates it through his power. He has the ability, the power, the skill, the talent, the knowledge, the wisdom, all those things that's involved in making something come to pass exactly on time and where he said it would happen. Uh, and so, as, eight, as uh, theologian A.T. Pearson said, history is his story. But I like uh, President James Garfield, what he said. He said it this way. He said, history is the unrolled scroll of history. Or, or I'm sorry, unrolled scroll of prophecy. So the prophecy was in the scroll, and as unrolls and, and as history unfolds right before your eyes, you can see it in the scroll. I thought that was pretty interesting. How wonderful it is. How wonderful it is that there was a script written by God long before we were ever born. And that all the events in the, this world, even though we, those we don't understand, are working according to his providential plan for the fulfillment of his will. Now, I love Pastor Coles, but I'm glad he's not in charge. I'm glad I'm not in charge, and I'm glad you're not in charge. I am so glad God is in charge. He writes it down. He makes it come to pass, and we can look in his word, and we can see it and appreciate it and love it and see it come to pass even before our own eyes. Jeremiah 1-2 says this, Then said the, the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. What God is telling Jeremiah is, Okay, you just wrote that down. Jeremiah, you got it right. That's what I said. Now I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to hasten to make my word come to pass. There's a saying I like that says, God said it, that settles it. And it doesn't depend on whether you or I believe it or not. If God says it, that settles it. It will come to pass. Yes, in this day and time, in Joseph and Mary's day, Caesar Augustus was in charge. He was. He was the most powerful ruler in the known world at that time. And yes, his empire was vast. And he ruled with an iron fist. Oh, he was in charge. Uh, and he had a great army to keep order and maintain Roman roads, among other things. But when Caesar issued that imperial order uh, that the entire Roman world would pay taxes, he did it partly to fill up the coffers of, of the Roman government and maybe line his pocket with a little bit of extra cash himself. But there was another ruler many, many years before recorded in the scriptures this. He said that the God, God holds the king's heart in his hand. In Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He, turn, he God, turneth it whithersoever he will. Caesar may have been in charge, but God had his heart in his hand. God would squeeze his heart. God would prod him to think things, do things that Caesar didn't even understand. And he does it with us. We'll, we'll get an urge. We'll get a, 
an idea or something and we think we thought of it and then it turns out that God had us do something that he wanted done. And that, that's wonderful. We can take joy in that. Caesar's edict was used to fulfill the Lord's plan. Though he didn't understand it at the time and neither did Joseph and Mary. But Joseph and Mary absolutely had to be in Bethlehem in order to fulfill a 700-year-old prophecy about the birth of Jesus. 700 years before. That's a long time ago. But in Micah 5.2, the Bible says that God recorded in his prophecy, he says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And at the end where it says from old and everlasting, that tells you that's someone that's eternal, that's an eternal being, that's God himself, that's Jesus, uh, born in the flesh. It wasn't just a human, it was an eternal uh, deity that was born there. 100% man and 100% God, and no, I can't understand it. But nothing that happens in this world, nothing that happens in this world can override God's pre-written timetable of biblical prophecies. He is a sovereign God and in control even when we don't see him working. He's working the night shift. We may not see him working, but he is. God's sovereignty over history is, is not seen only in relation to uh, the political structures like with the, with the uh, Caesar Augustus, but we see it also in our personal lives. Uh, we have a personal relationship with Christ. It's one-on-one. -on -one. It's us. And just with over 7 billion people on planet Earth to think that God is thinking about me personally and individually, about you personally, individually. I mean, that's overwhelming to me. Uh, just getting Christmas cards out to the people that we did was, was a task. And there wasn't seven billion of them that went out. Uh, but it was a good task. It was a good task. Judy enjoyed it. So, but uh, God's sovereignty is seen in our personal lives as well. And it was very, very personal with Joseph and Mary as they were fulfilling God's prophecy. Think of that dis distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem, that 90 miles, and Mary's expectant condition. Why would God give them such a problem at an already difficult time in their lives? I mean, put yourself in Mary's sandals. Lord, you've got to be kidding I have to walk 90 miles? You already put this on me to have this baby, uh, and now you're making me walk that 90 miles? Uh, well, they were expecting a first child. They're not wealthy people that could afford to make the trip in comfort. Surely there would have been some dangers along the road that they needed to consider. This situation was very personal with them. And the same principle is with us today. It's personal. Why would God allow difficult situations in any of our lives at a time when we could least afford it? 
If you ask, oh, I got every, my plate's full. I, I'm loaded down. I got all this stuff to do. And then along comes a problem that we didn't expect. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, our refrigerator freezer died. It took two months to get that thing repaired under warranty. Well, those people didn't get any more warranty money out of us. <laughs> two months without, you know. So why, how, how, why does all this stuff have to happen? We, we don't understand. Uh, but God does it just like he did with Mary and Joseph, to lead us to where he needs us to be, where he wants us to be, to learn what he wants us to learn, to know what he wants us to know. You may go through a, a horrible experience or something, uh, and then later on in life, you can use it to be a blessing to someone else that is experiencing the same thing. And you can be a comfort and a blessing to them. God can use you uh, in that time. We went down and visited James Earl's Thursday and spent about 50 minutes with him. And by the way, he sends his greetings to you. He would love to be here. But it was a joy. And you talked about his mule getting loose. <laughs> when we went in, I went in first and Judy stayed out in the hall where he couldn't see her. And so I went on one side, and so he's turned facing me, looking at me. And Judy came in and gave him a little peck on the cheek. And he says, oh, my mule's getting loose. <laughs> he said, a woman done kissed me here in the cheek. <laughs> so, yeah, he said that a couple times about his mule getting loose. It was, it was good. He's a joy to visit and having a, uh, well, he's, he's there. Uh, he didn't want to go there at first, but he said God is using it. Uh, he's doing two Bible studies a week now instead of five. Um, but he's uh, still happy to do it. He's giving out Bibles and different things. And it's just a joy to visit with him. If you ever get a chance, just go down. You walk in, there's a little thing on the left side. You put your head up there, get your temperature. You log in and just go back to his room. There was no nurse harassed us, nobody, nothing. It was just go in and had a great time. But uh, he's fulfilling God's purpose in that nursing home. He's fulfilling God's purpose, witnessing to those people. Uh, and with all the stuff he had, he could have died a long time ago. But God is still using him. And I think God will continue to use him as long, you know, as, long as your heart is right with the Lord. And you've surrendered to him and said, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, then he's going to use you. He will. Uh, so Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Uh, great verse. Things may have seemed difficult for Joseph and Mary as they trekked at 90 miles. You know, I figured it out. If, if they went 15 miles a day, it took them six days to get there. It's a lot of walking, especially for Mary. But God did not allow them to endure this trials and suffering uh, just to make them suffer, just to see how they would respond. Rather, he was, God was allowing them to participate in his plan. He was leading them to the right place at the exact moment in time that he wanted them there to fulfill all these prophecies. And they may not have quite understood that, but we don't understand a lot of times either what God's doing with us. But he, he led them there. 
But when we see our trials through this perspective, through God's perspective on what he's doing, and we don't understand it, and we just have to submit to him and be obedient uh, and do what he puts on our heart, then we can find joy. We can find the smiling joy in his presence, or in his uh, providence. And then we'll see uh, in number two here, joy in his presence. God could have given us anything. He could have given us angels, 144,000 angels to put the word out, whatever. But he gave us what we needed most. And so on a long prophesied night in a stable in the town of Bethlehem, he gave us his presence. He gave us his presence. And that's the word there is presence, not presence. Yesterday was Christmas. And I'm sure. Uh, Joanne, I'm going to put you on the spot, okay? Did you get any presents yesterday? Yes, sure did. You sure did. And did you enjoy them? But you had the presence of your son, your daughter-in-law, and four grandchildren. And which did you prefer most, the presence or the presence? Okay, you got it right. The good. <laughs> And you had the presence with you, and we had the presence of our children and grandchildren. And those of you that had the presence of family members understand what we're saying here. God gave us his presence. He could have given us presence, but he gave us his presence. And that's so, so, so valuable and important and wonderful. Um, Jesus could bestow great wealth on any of us at any time. He has the power and the wherewithal to do it. But he knows exactly what we need. And we should have much joy and be content with what we have. Uh, and just say, thank you, Lord. Uh, I saw a thing on Facebook. Is Maybe this isn't this Snoopy or something. Said maybe this isn't the time to uh, whatever it was be happy with or be asking for things, but rather to be thanking God for what we have. Uh, and that's the truth of the matter, and that's what we should do. But the fact that Jesus left heaven to give us his presence here on earth should bring us great joy. We should have joy in his presence. And your next blank there in letter A is the place that we were to receive this presence was determined. The place was determined. Remember, God not only foretold uh, the time, but also the place of Jesus' birth. Micah prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and that is exactly how it came to pass. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, where is, the, where, is born, uh, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. He was born in Bethlehem, just like it was prophesied. And you know, there's many reasons uh, why God would pick the town of Bethlehem. But why would he pick Bethlehem? Uh, one of the Thoughts on that is kind of interesting is that the word Bethlehem means the house of bread. If you look at the Hebrew, the second letter for B 
V, bait, Vey, whatever they, it's pronounced a couple of different ways. It kind of looks like a little stable, you know, that's kind of neat. Uh, but they picked Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. So what we have is it's the birthplace of the bread of life in the house of bread. Uh, and you have John 6, 32 through 35, and I'll just read the last uh, verse 35. It says, And Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The bread of life uh, being born in the, the house of bread. That's kind of interesting. Uh, but he was the bread of life was born in the house of bread so that we would never again be spiritually hungry, but might be eternally filled. And that's so true. That leads us to the letter B, the Savior, and your blank there is Savior, the Savior was delivered. Mary went into labor and delivered Jesus in a stable. It's not a clean and sterile hospital room like ladies enjoy today when they have children. Uh, and afterwards she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Our person that does this says that the gauzy type substance, speaking of the swaddling clothes, was not something most mothers would want to wrap their newborns in. And it says that swaddling clothes were typically used as burial wrappings. And so the significance here is that Jesus Christ was born to die for us. And he was, as Pastor Coles talked about earlier. First John 4, 9 says, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So after wrapping Jesus in, in swaddling clothes, Mary laid uh, Christ in a manger. And the manger may have been just a, you know, may not have been the wooden thing with straw like we see. It may sometimes they were carved out of uh, concrete or out of the floor uh, in the rock. And so he may have been laid in there. Uh, but regardless of what the situation is like, the stables were normally cold, normally I don't care what time of year it is. They were normally uh, cold in the evening. Uh, they were dark. They were damp. They smelled because of the animals there. Uh, and uh, it was a humble scene, a humble place uh, for the king, the birth of a king to take place. The eternal son of God was born in a cave and laid in a manger surrounded by animals because... As the Bible tells us, there was no other place for them to go. Verse 7 says, there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. For many people today, guess what? There's still a no room attitude when it comes to Christ. They don't mind decorating their homes with bright lights or Christmas trees or buying Christmas gifts that they can't afford, run up that charge card, but they don't want to personally receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and they don't want to submit to his leadership, just keep him at arm's length, because uh, if he comes into their life and he's their Savior, then it would somehow change their homes and alter the way they live their, the way they live their lives. 
So in short, people have no room for Jesus. So we're going to look, examine three of those uh, briefly. The first one, uh, the blank there is the material man. The material man has no room for Jesus. For some people, life is all about how much you can get, how much stuff you can acquire, and how short a time you can get it in. People like this would be wise to remember why Christ came in the first place. Yes, he came to bring security, but not security for your investments, not security for your bank account, but eternal security for our souls, which is far more valuable than all the gold that you could acquire in this life. Uh, just look at Mark 8:36. You have that in your notes. It says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Just think about that. And the verse that I love the most, and it's not in your notes, but it's 1 Timothy 6.10 says this. And we know the first part well, but I'd like for you to listen to the entire verse. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And then there's a colon there. And then, so here's the rest of it. It says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wealth we know is there's no sin in wealth, but to covet after money, to chase after it, to make it your God, that is what we're talking about. The love of money is the root of all evil. For money, for the love of money, people will do many things, almost anything uh, for money. But the Bible says that some have erred from the faith. Maybe uh, they were exposed to the gospel. Maybe they were in a church. But then when they started chasing after money, they just went the other way and you don't see them again. They're not here. And then it talks about piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Not just with sorrows, but many sorrows. And as I read that, whenever I think of that verse, I think about acupuncture. And you know how those long needles and they keep stabbing places. You know, and it'd be just like that. You're stabbing yourself because of what you're doing. Instead of getting anything good, you're just acquiring money. You're hurting yourself. You don't get that peace. You don't get that comfort. You don't have that joy that we're talking about because you're chasing after a, a God, the God of money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Uh, and so we know that Jesus came to provide security, but not for our finances. So please don't make finances a God. And then it comes to this number two, the second blank error is the intellectual man has no room for Jesus. I should have changed that to the intellectual person, make these persons instead of man. I don't want to leave the ladies out here. But the intellectual person that has no room for Jesus. Some people feel that, you know, I, I, I've, I'm so smart. I'm not buying into this Christianity thing. You just need it for a crutch. That's the only reason you're a Christian. The only reason you go to church is for the social ties, networking, that sort of thing. That's just a social crutch. I'm not buying into that. I'm too smart for that. Uh, they've been so, they, they become so smart in their own eyes. 
that they reject the babe in the manger as God, as the only begotten Son of God. Uh, and the Bible says, now God says this, not me, not name calling, but God says they're fools. God says they're fools uh, to reject Christ and that they're headed according, they're headed to destruction according to the word of God. First Timothy, or First Corinthians 1, 18 and 19 is there for you. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Isaiah 5, 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. God has a fairly serious warning there to those that think they're so smart that they don't need God, they don't need Christianity, they don't need to be saved. I've got it all figured out. Uh, just stay away from me. God has some serious things for the intellectual person that has no room for Jesus. And then we have the third one is the religious person has no room for Jesus. There are those folks that put their trust, their trust for their eternal soul, where they're going to go when they die in some sort of religious system. They may, they may believe that Jesus is part of the answer. Uh, he's part of the equation for eternal life, but they refuse to believe that he is the complete, total answer for salvation. You find that in the Jehovah's Witness that thinks uh, Christ was a pro he's just a prophet. He was a smart man. Islam, the same thing and others, uh, but the point is, they will make room in their lives for a set of rules. Easy day, I can follow rules, uh, but they, and it makes them feel righteous, but they don't want Jesus to intrude on their closely held traditions. Uh, it's difficult for Muslims to come out of that faith, or Jehovah's Witness. Uh, John chapter 1 Verses 10 through 12 said, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There are many material, intellectual, religious people out there that are filled with sadness and gloom, uh, they've acquired some goals and all that sort of thing uh, by their best efforts, but they have not been able to obtain joy, the joy that we know, the peace that we have in our hearts, the understanding. Uh, death for me is an elevator to take me where I want to go anyway. Uh, we can look forward to death uh, as a time to see Jesus. <laughs> I told Brother Earls, he said, I'll see you here, there, in the air. I said, well, Brother, if we're raptured up, I'm going to ask you right now to forgive me for not even looking at you because I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and I won't have time to look over at you. <laughs> he says, that's a good one. So he liked that. <laughs> so, uh, but those that are religious uh, and, and all these people, the intellectuals and material, they don't have time or any reason uh, to uh, trust God. 
but they blindly, they may blindly follow a, a church's set of good rules and things like that to be a good person. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're never sure that they've done enough. If you ask someone, have you prayed enough? Have you given enough? Have you done enough? Uh, they're, they're not sure if they're that way. But there's only one way to heaven, and that way is Jesus. Pastor Coles mentioned that earlier. See, I was listening. <laughs> there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father uh, but by me. We who know Jesus as our personal Savior can have continual joy in his presence. And that brings us to Roman numeral three, joy in God's provision. Joy in God's provision. The question is, what was provided for millions and millions of people the day that Jesus was born? The answer is God. God provided himself as the greatest gift that the world has ever known. Letter A is it was a personal presentation. It was a personal presentation. This was not some mystical appearance or some spirit uh, presence that happened. This was the actual only begotten Son of God uh, that came and presented himself to the world. John 1.14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus put on a physical body, put on a physical body to come to earth and to live among us. Uh, and then Colossians 1.15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of every creature. The physical birth of Christ was a personal presentation of God in human flesh. It was a personal presentation. And letter B was a spiritual presentation. A spiritual presentation. This was also, this event was also a spiritual presentation because he who was the son of Mary was also the Son of God. He still is the Son of God. Uh, but at the birth, he was the Son of Mary and the Son of God. 100% God, 100% man. Uh, and Romans 1, 4 says, And declared to be the Son of God uh, with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Luke 1, says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him Give unto him the throne of his father David. And Colossians 2 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Great verses uh, that speak to the fact that this was also a spiritual presentation. Because Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and because he was the Son of God, he was the only one, the only one that could have done the work of redemption. On the cross, as Pastor Coles talked about also in his message. Uh, and it's good to hear it from two different angles. You know, there's four Gospels that tell the same story, so we're not treading on each other, we're just reinforcing. One, uh, he's the only one that could have done the redemption on the cross to make possible the gift of God, the gift of God 
which is eternal life and forgiveness of sins. It's the only way we could have done that, uh, and thank God for that. When we understand the significance of Christ's presence, we can begin to experience the joy of Christmas. Those that are wrapped up in the worldly things that uh, can't see Christ for all the wrappings on the presents, uh, they cannot experience uh, the joy of Christmas. But we can experience it and we can appreciate the joy ex uh, expressed in the Christmas carols that we hold dear. And I have one in there that uh, says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let your mule get loose, if you will. You know, a pardon for a convict is only a slip of paper. And the value of that pardon, that slip of paper, is only determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. I write you a pardon, and you say, no, thank you, then you don't have a pardon. But if I write you a pardon and you accept it, you are pardoned. Jesus was born to die on the cross because we needed that pardon. We needed to be saved. We need to be saved from the penalty of our own sin. And this once-for-all payment is sufficient to ensure a pardon from God and eternity with him in heaven. What a great, magnificent, wonderful, wonderful gift from God. It's a pardon that he offers to us freely. All we have to do is accept it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We cannot recognize the significance of God with us until we experience the reality of of Christ in us. We hear the knocking. We heard the invitation this morning. And if you're sitting here and you're not saved, you have shut the door. You haven't opened it. We need to open that door and receive Christ as our Savior. And then we will experience the reality of Christ in us. Once we invite Jesus in, then we will know the joy of the Lord and we, we, we will be able to give thanks for his unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. When you know Christ personally, Christmas is indeed a season to rejoice. And I include a memory verse at the bottom. We started with that, Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore great verse to commit to memory and you have one more blank right letter a and that's there so i can say
Happy New Year. <laughs> That's what I put that for there, so you don't have to write that down. But in any event, for your kind attention. Uh, and again, uh, if, uh, can you go to the, is there another slide? Okay, there at the bottom is Pastor Cole's email address for those of you watching on live stream. If you want to get these uh, notes emailed to you, make sure you send it. WL, and don't forget that L, WLCOLES at Verizon.net, and he'll be happy to send them out to you. Uh, and so we thank him for all the work that he does. Thank you for your kind attention. I hope you had a blessed Christmas, and I hope you have a wonderful new year. Uh, and you are, well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together, and thank you for your word, and Lord, thank you for that unspeakable gift. Lord, you have done far more. Uh, you have gone the extra mile to provide us uh, security, to provide us eternity in heaven. You've offered us this special gift, this free pardon. Father, help us to be smart enough, uh, to be humble enough, to repent from our sins, to understand we're sinners, to understand that we need to ask for forgiveness and to receive the free gift of eternal life in heaven through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.